Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Hello, lovely, lovely listeners. Oz here. Yes, I am still in Portland, but I am coming back soon. Isn't it exciting? Mostly because I've missed all of Alex's digs at all my Tinder fails. Mm. I'm here to give you a reminder, we have got a live event coming up. On the 30th of May, we'll be at the Royal Institution in London with Angela Saini talking about her new book, which explores how scientific racism still exists today. It's selling out pretty fast, so you should probably get your tickets soon. And also, I'll be there, so that's like half the reason and motivation to go anyway let's be honest there is a ticket link in the show notes or check out our twitter page at why not a doc so 30th of may put in your diaries and be there the second thing you should probably listen to episode 18 before listening to this one we'll be doing a lot of callbacks to that episode and also you'll hear lots of little clips of my wonderful voice but this recording is for this episode like i specifically did it for this do you get it you get it all right i think we've got it all right so listen to episode 18 get your tickets for the 30th of may and enjoy this episode see you soon Hello and welcome to Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet, the only podcast that uses cutting-edge science to answer the questions that you actually have. Things like, why is the sky blue, what's up with trees, and why does a real accomplished person give us the time of day? I'm your host, Alex Lathbridge. I'm a PhD student in computational biology and biochemistry, a comedian, and honestly really bad with my time. On my left, I have Hannah Ayub. Hannah is this amazing creative producer. She makes intricate art and she tweets sometimes and people who are racist um, like stop following her, which has <laughs> happened today. <laughs> um, and of course, we're joined by Sahel Patel. Sahel is an amazing journalist. He makes brilliant stuff for the BBC and he cuts it very fine when he buys uh, Starbucks. Like yeah, last yeah. couple of minutes, just, just, <laughs> yeah. And you can tell that today I'm quite, you know, reserved. Mm. Probably here it's because we have an actual person in the room it's today, true. as opposed to these like just 
incongruous meshes of human flesh that we call <laughs> that like, oh that's all of us that's, yeah, that no, no. describes me perfectly to be honest so i wouldn't <laughs> vote that in any way and our wonderful guest could we get you to say who you are and just what it is that you do yeah so i'm alison killing and i'm trained as an architect but i now work mostly with digital media so i use maps and data to investigate stories and to tell them Oh, and so we've got you here because of one particular big project you did. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so Migration Trail is a project that I spent about three years on. Um, which I know, I know, it's really, really long. Um, <laughs> I started, uh, it, so it launched at the end of 2017. And we're still sort of showing it. And it's a mapped data visualization, and it follows the stories of two fictional migrants, David and Sarah, who are traveling to and through Europe in real time over 10 days. Why? Why did you start this up? Why? I had interest in the sort of refugee, irregular migration subject for a very long time. I started working on this at the end of 2014, and it was a period when for like right through 2013 and 2014, there'd been an increase in the number of people who were traveling through the central Mediterranean. There'd been quite a lot of shipwrecks. There'd been a huge number of deaths. And this story was like, I mean, it was clearly like a huge story and it was a really important, urgent one. And it just wasn't getting the attention that it seemed to, to deserve. And even when it was being covered, like there was some good coverage of it. Um, but even when it was being covered, those stories often weren't being read. So like The Guardian was saying, like, we put this on our front page and these stories get the fewest click-throughs of anything on our front page. So it's just like nobody wanted to read these stories. So it was like, okay, well, then we need a better way. Or we needed like another way of telling this story. And so uh, it seemed that telling it in real time and doing it, telling it in real time might be a way to make it urgent and immediate for an audience, doing it via maps was, and data was like, I thought it was interesting. That's like kind of my background. And, you know, there's also like a novelty element to it that like, okay, we're going to try and tell this in a new way and see if we can get attention for it in that way. It, there's a couple of parts to it. There's the mapped data visualization, which is based on a platform which is very similar to Google Maps in the way that it works in that you can zoom in and out and you can pan around to explore the map. And then on top of that, what we've essentially created is this 10 day long animation, which follows these these two characters, David and Sarah, as they're traveling to and through Europe in real time over 10 days. Real time means like if somebody spends 20 minutes waiting for a bus in real life, they spend 20 minutes waiting for a bus in the data visualization or the or whatever. So why did you like decide to do that? Um, I say this because Hannah was like, oh, I'm just going to check it out now. And we we're both in Starbucks. Like, I'm like, Hannah, it's real time. She's yeah. like, are you sure? It's like, yep, yep. We're going to we're gonna be stuck here for a while. <laughs> All right. You're not going to get to day six. Day six is <laughs> where the fun starts. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think there's something like really powerful about um, doing it in real time and sort of like forcing people to wait and sort of forcing mm. and like getting people to like go along on the journey with these people. Um, and that it's um, it's something out outside of the audience's control as well. I think that that's actually quite powerful in in storytelling. Um, so yeah, that that's 
kind of really what it was and to sort of like have like the immediacy and the urgency of it of like you know somebody's on a boat and probably they're going to get there in four days and you're just waiting to find out and to sort of have see if we could um convey some of like the tension of that and the sort of yeah, yeah. i think because we were chatting about it and we were sort of saying like it's amazing that you could like you could push the messages that people are receiving like so you've got people you've got the two characters and they're actually interacting with i think it's I think sarah it's her sib her brother really cool storytelling but at the same time like not invasive but like just even having just looked at it today there's an emotional connection to not being able to skim through it i think we're so used to everything digital just being like oh well i'm gonna skip a few paragraphs i'm gonna jump ahead and you can't you've just got to sit and wait and watch it Mm. that was in the original project proposal like we're going to tell it in real time um it's going to make it urgent it's going to make it immediate we're going to push back on this idea that the internet is just an on-demand thing that satisfies the audience's every whim like one of the questions that we often get asked is like just where did you get the data how did you find Mm. out all of this stuff so a lot of the data is open source and it's like un databases about where people go or it's like eurostat about asylum claims things like that the the bulk of the information came from um me actually doing a lot of these journeys myself and then doing interviews on the way around so in 2015, I went to Lesvos and then traveled to Greece, through Greece, up through the Balkans, through Hungary, Austria, Germany, back to the Netherlands, um, doing interviews on the way with with refugees, with um, with volunteers, with local government. Um, I went out on patrol with Frontex at one point, so lots and lots of different groups. Um, then I spent about three weeks in Calais over over a period of about six months, I went up and down a few times just to sort of see what was happening there. So was that the migrant camp? Yeah. I spent about three weeks in total in, in Calais. Um, each time I went for five or six days. I also went out on one of the rescue boats for two mm. weeks. Oh. So I was on a rescue boat off the coast of Libya for wow. two weeks. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then I also went, twenty. that was 2016 in the summer, the same year... I went to Turkey and then traveled around uh, Izmir and Istanbul, up to Bulgaria, back down to Greece to catch up on what was happening in Greece. Because by that point, people um, were no longer allowed to just travel through the Balkans as freely Mm. as they had been able to through 2015 and the first part of 2016. Um, And then I also went to Sicily to meet one of the rescue boats coming in, um, in, I think at the start of 2017, and then traveled up through Italy to the Italian-French border and then back up to the Netherlands from there. So wow. a huge amount of traveling. Yeah, I was going to say, is it is it difficult to explain to people what you were doing during that time? Did, did, did people ask? Did you explain to them that you're putting this project together to... Um, so, the, I mean, there was at the time, there were quite a lot of journalists working on this subject. So people sort of understood that there was a level of interest in this. Mm. I tended to explain what I was doing as I'm making a documentary. Mm. And I, we also made a podcast. So I was, you know, radio, doing radio interviews. Mm. Um, and that was a fairly easy thing for people to understand. Mm. Um, you know, it's like, it's a known thing. With a few people, I did try and explain what the whole database was and that we were gonna have these fictional characters and we were gonna make instant messaging stories and things. But even with people who spoke English as their first language, without the thing in front of them, they, they were like, 
yeah, that that sounds cool. I have no idea what that is. Yeah. You know, like, do, do it and show it to us. It? And yeah. then uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it sounds really great. But I mean, there is something there because, you know, you're going around all these places. And I don't know, Hannah, if you were a refugee or you know, someone traveling from a you know, place like Syria or you know Nigeria, West Africa, it'd be kind of weird to have someone come up to you and go, okay, so big data visualization. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, exactly. I mean. It's a weird yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah. So we, when we made the prototype, we used Google Maps and then we stepped away from it with the actual developed thing. I, the reason that I say Google Maps is that that's a thing that people are familiar with that has the same functionality of like, it's a map and you can zoom and you can pan. And we can do the same with this. So there's a number of different layers to it. One is like the, the sort of maps themselves, the drawn maps. We produce those in Mapbox. Um, Mapbox allows you to, um, like, it, it has basic map information already of, like, the outlines of the countries and the roads and things like that. And then you can choose the colours and the line weights and things like that. So we made a series of different um, map tiles for, actually, for the world. Um, Wait, the entire world or not? Yeah, it? because what you do is um, you just set, okay, for for um, a road, an A road, like the most important road, it should look like this on the map. It's going to be in blue and it's going to be this wide. And so then Mapbox just applies that to all of the A roads in the world. Oh, okay. Um, and we made like a series of like five, um, we made five sets of tiles of different colors and they go from like day through getting slowly darker through to night. Okay, yeah. And so, yeah, so the map gets darker at night and we have like a period, I think of about an hour in the morning and the evening where we're slowly like flipping out the sets of tiles to make it get darker. Okay. That's so that's really one cool. thing. I'm interested in, like really interested in the tech because it's something that I know very little about. So I think we did an episode on this before, you know, from the front end, it's like really, really well put together. And like Sahel and I were really wondering like, how many different layers are there to this? Because you mentioned, you know, at the bottom there's like map box and stuff, but how did you add, like, what other layers did you add to this? So the the website is built in JavaScript. Um, there's layers of data that go over the top of that map box, um, of those map box tiles, one of which is the, the characters moving in their journey. So that was a series of, like, GeoJSON files, and you basically, like feed in a line and which has a start point and an end point. So, you know, that might be the start and end of a train journey. And you say, start moving along this line at 1903. And at the end of that line is going to be like 1947. And so that's how you program the dot to move along the line. And then you say like, and then stop there for seven hours because the guy's asleep. Mm. Um, we also had like the database with... Um, the database of that character's journey, which was linked to those GeoJSON files of like, go here, start moving, stop moving, stay there for a bit, start moving, stop moving, stay there for a bit. That was like, okay, um, when are they going to be able to plug in their phone? And so we would just, we, we built all of this in, we built the database in Excel, which was just <laughs> like, which was actually a bit of a crazy way to do it, I think. Um, so the database had in things like, how much phone battery do they have? Are they charging their phone? Are they not charging their phone? Um, how much signal do they have as well? We also had in the database um, 
the emotion at the time and and, and information about like um the environment that they were in like are you on a boat are you by the shore are you on land is there an engine running and that's how we did the sound So the sound is, when you're zooming out, it's all environmental noise. And as you sort of move in, you, it becomes an emotional barometer for the character. So that was all in the database as well of just like, okay, for like these five hours, we're going to do sleeping or we're going to do like calmness or we're going to do like a couple of hours of anxiety. And then, which is really... <laughs> Sounds like lady life, man. I'm yeah. glad that you have an Excel spreadsheet that maps out my life. <laughs> yeah, it was a really strange. It was a really strange spreadsheet to put together. Um, and then also in that spreadsheet, we had um, the times that each message should go out and the translation. And then we just uploaded all of that into the database, which um, then feeds feeds the website. On top of the maps, we have like a few layers where you have like wind, and that is also. Um, I think that's a GeoJSON file. See, that and we was... sort of placed that in with a platform called Leaflet, which is an open source mapping, like Leaflet.js. Because like you're talking about all these different layers you're adding and like, you know, you've got this wind data, you've got you know, all this human stories and stuff. And then like the fact that you've got wind data was really interesting because it's like people are traveling by boats and that's something they've got to think about. And it's like, you don't ever really... You know, when I'm doing Google Maps trying to get from A to B, I'm not ever thinking, oh, what's the wind like, you know? Um, so how did you make the decision to have each individual layer? Like, you know, you explained how you did it, but like, why did you, like, you know, was it from the outset, like you knew exactly what data you were going to put on there? Or was it like, as the story came out, you know, how did um, you work it out? So... That was also an idea from the outset that we're going to like layer a load of data onto this map. You're just really good at writing grants. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's so some of it is like actually when you're like actually t in order to write a grant, uh, in order to write a project proposal, you have to done, have to have done quite a lot of research and quite a lot of development of that idea in order to be able to write something coherent enough and well developed enough that you can actually get funding. So there were some things that were in there from the start. Um, the, actually, the character's text messaging was something that came in later. Oh, really? Um, that wasn't in there initially. Um, what made you think of doing that? Um, just sort of conversations as I started to develop it and people saying like, oh, you know, maybe it's like it's not personal enough mm -hmm. and it's um, you actually do want like that connection with mm -hmm. the character and how could you create that? Um, Is there any yeah. data that you originally planned to have in it that you then took out? Um, there was stuff, there were things that we wanted to have in it that we couldn't, um, that we didn't manage to, to do within the scope of this project, okay. unfortunately. So there were things. Sorry, what I love is the way you, I'm, I'm just watching you and studying for when I do my thesis, like Viva's like, there are things that I wanted to do, but I just couldn't do. And I was like, yes, learn from the best, go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so for example, we wanted to, as well as the wind, we wanted to have like waves and currents in. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite difficult to find that data and get it in the format that you need. Um, oh man, I wanted clouds. I wanted clouds in there so badly. Cla we managed to get it in at one point as a live feed. Um, that was really cool. No, we, we weren't I, able I, to make the clouds work. Um, 
because what what I had also really wanted to do was occasionally just to say like, you know what, guys, the weather's bad. The map's broken down. No map for you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and again, just like frustrate those audience expectations mm. about in terms of like following the story, but also of like what a map is and what you can mm. do with it in terms of telling stories. like on the story front like it took i'm not gonna say everyone but me especially like a while to realize that it was in fact like a fictional it was based on real stories but it was you know a fictional story um so did you write that or the stories um so we worked with a series of writers to develop the characters and to write their stories and those writers then uh, wrote the text message, um, the instant messaging streams. Mm. So we worked with David's story was was written by a Nigerian author called El Nathan John. Sarah's story was written by a screenwriter called uh, Nadia Asfour. El Nathan John, he wrote. Uh, he wrote uh, a book called uh, Born on a Tuesday, and yeah, he's just had a book out called like How to Be a Nigerian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not Nigerian. Everyone knows who listens. Not. <laughs> they have inferior jollof rice, all these things. Gotta say it. Alison's like, why is Alex saying all these things? I've just got to. It's fine. Um, but yeah, that book's really interesting because it's about like extremism in northern, I want to say like Boko Haram, like northern Nigeria. And like, it's just like, you know, the stories that we know now and then like a real world, like different perspective and stuff, mm-hmm. which is sort of this. Like, this is really like, you know stories that we're meant to know but like from a really real perspective um which i thought was really cool so we worked with El nathan and with nadia to develop this to develop these characters and their stories and the way that we did it was basically those yeah it was complicated um so having done these journeys myself well not I hadn't done them irregularly, obviously, I'd, but I'd been in many of these places and met many of these people myself. Myself, So I knew sort of where people went. I knew how they did it, how long it took and what the things were that ha- tended to happen in each place and that tended to happen to people. So I had a sense of like who the characters could be and what the storylines could be and certainly what the route would be. And so we went to Nadia and to El Nathan. There was actually also a third writer um, called Zagona Kagar who wrote an Afghan story, which we weren't able to produce, although I would still really, really like to. Um, But we worked with them. We gave them the route. We gave them like a series. We gave them like this big sort of like briefing pack of like that, you know, this is what happens in, in Izmir. And this is the sort of person that we think this character is. And then um, asked the writer to give us a character and to give us the outline of a story. And then we worked together with them to to develop the text messages. Well, the, to it was they they developed the text messages. But what we had to do, especially with that, was things like sorting out like how many messages a day do you need? Like how much action is too much action in a story? You know, if somebody has been like uh, left home and been kidnapped and paid a ransom and it's only lunchtime, is that probably too much action? <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> But it's quite a, it's like the real time aspect is is a difficult thing to get your head around. Mm. Um, also, um, you know, was it acceptable that 
when David, for example, is on the boat and probably won't have um, internet access, is it acceptable that you just don't hear from David for like three and a half days? And I was I was a bit nervous about that. And then um, Sarah Sai, who was our assistant producer and ended up doing a lot of the editing and sort of helping to sort of shape these stories and characters, she was really insistent, like, no, 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 it needs to be the real thing. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to make it sort of good and satisfying. So, yeah, you don't hear from David from like three and a half days or something until he finally reaches Sicily. Mm. So, yeah, that's how we did it. It was a very um, like experimental process. We didn't know when we set out like what quite what the end result was going to end up being like. And yeah, we mm. had to like find that out as we went. It seems like it's a very, actually quite a laborious process in the sense that there was a lot of going back and trying things because you are, you know, trailblazing here in, in, the, in the way you're storytelling. I mean, uh, we, we've done some like text message kind of and Instagram, like Facebook messaging storytelling, but like nothing as sophisticated as what, what you've accomplished here. So, you know, I, I can I can imagine that being quite a difficult process. Actually, How big a team did you have working on it? Yeah, so the team sort of, um, I was on this like from, from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And then as we got money to do things, more people would come on mm -hmm. board. So the final production team was me. There was a producer who was Josie Gardner. There was Sarah Sai, who was our AP and editor for the text messages. Anik Say, who was the podcast editor. We had Al Nathan John. Nadia Asfor, Zaguna Kaga, who were the writers who we worked with. Um, Bora Yoon did the sound. We had Asha Kamen doing graphics. Oh, Thomas Leverstrow, who did all of the development. Um, and then we had like a number of advisors as well. Um, a guy called Naif, who um, was, he's Syrian and had made this trip himself back in 2011. And he was the advisor for um, Sarah's story. Um, we had we had translators. We had yeah, it was quite a big yeah. fact checkers, proofreader, all wow. all of that. It was a big team <laughs> finally. You'd be talking about maps here. One of the things I was because I used to work for MSF. One of the things that we did there was the missing maps project. Have you heard about this? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Have. And, that, you know, maps, you were talking about the importance of maps and stuff. Like in the West, obviously, we know everything. You can see everything. But in this parts of the world where they don't have access to maps or good maps, and that can lead to humanitarian crisis as well, or Wait, exacerbate them. What is the Missing Maps Project? It's a, it's a project we're using thousands of volunteers. I might describe this wrong, but um, that aims to uh, fill in gaps in our knowledge of particularly areas that are prone to humanitarian crises or something along the lines of that, yeah. It'll be like neighborhoods that mm. just haven't had maps drawn of that neighborhood. So you, people don't know where the roads are. Mm. So they don't know how to get to a village to carry out a vaccination program or to check how are those people after the, that series of landslides? You know, do they need mm. medical assistance? In, and so it's like a crowdsourcing yeah. project. Yeah, exactly. Essentially, where yeah. they, they get people to. Yeah sit down with satellite photographs and draw the houses and draw the roads mm. and draw the rivers of these areas that Which haven't been mapped. Absolutely. It's in a meticulous process, isn't it? But, you know, talking about maps, like Maxine 
take you to freedom, isn't it? And like, which is what this is about. And um, I think it's it's a really interesting way because it gives you perspective because you're looking back and you're looking at the world and you're seeing these little dots across the lines. But then you're right, when you go in and you experience the emotion of that journey, it really gives it another kind of layer of depth to it. Um, I'm fanboying now. <laughs> I mean, have you got? Have you, I mean, following this, do you plan to do something like this again? Is is this something? You, is is it like kind of? Was it? Uh, is it a one-time thing, or what's your kind of vision with this? Because I know you've reopened the avenue to people to access again. Um, so it it's it stayed open in mm. on-demand format. Mm. Um, in the, so that's the like. When we first launched it, it was everybody got the same experience at the same time, mm. um, and we were essentially broadcasting it. And now, if you go, it'll start for you on day one, mm. um, and then if somebody else goes, it'll start individually for them as mm. well. So it's still open in that sense. I would love to like run it again as a ten-day thing. Mm. Um, I'd it, love to produce more stories as well. It's yeah. just like waiting for the the opportunity. Like who wants to mm. potentially do it? I mean, but is could you use this kind of formula for? not just talking about this crisis, but other humanitarian issues that people become desensitized to. Could you use it to do other interesting kinds of storytelling? And are you thinking about doing anything beyond this, you know, in the future? I would love to. Mm. Um, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that work really well with maps. So um, any sort of change or movement across a geographical area works well. So a journey, so migration or irregular migration, um, environmental monitoring, so, you know, like deforestation or something like that. You could track sort of ice change in the Arctic or a journey across the South Pole, or you could track um, animal migrations, for example. Those are the sorts of things that would work really well for mm. for this sort of format. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my background's in zoology, so actually I jumped straight to like animal migration in response to climate change as mm. like a thing that it would be amazing to track. Mm. So you could like track like how animals are moving across and then have this kind of a similar thing to this, which yeah, I could see mm. that working quite interesting. Interesting. Let's should we skip should we skip a few days or see what else is happening? Yeah, so we're on yeah. day three right now. Let's skip to where are we now? Let's skip to day four and see what's happening. So we're, we're early morning, day four. Let's see what's happened. So um, I was obviously just chatting with his brother. He was worried about him. Um, they got saved by a boat. So there was an issue to run out of fuel. They got saved by the boat. Yeah. yeah. So then, so there was a pregnant woman on the boat. What happened to her? Uh, pregnant woman died. Fuck. That's crazy. So if you go to the messages, it says that she, after she entered labor on the big boat, but then she died, survive rape, survive beating. It was very real and like, you know, there are really dark elements. Like you didn't shy away from that, you know, on the boat, um, I think a pregnant woman dies. Um, and then you've got sort of references to like sexual abuse and stuff. And was from the, did you ever like th think about like, oh, maybe shying away from that or like, oh, is what is too much? Cause you know, earlier you were saying like, it can't be too action packed, blah, blah, blah happening before lunchtime. But you know, you've got, this is like a really emotional, you know, it's, it's like you've got these text messages and they're, they're, they're humanizing. So like, you know, how human is too human, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, we didn't sort of worry about it too much in terms of like, is this um, 
too graphic or is this too tough for an audience to listen to? Um, it, it's There's a lot of elements to this story that are just quite tough and we actually wanted to draw attention to, you know, the story as it is. What we, the one way that that did come in was that we were sitting there thinking like, this person writing their text messages, what would they really write to their family? Like, would they really give them the full, like, no holds barred, like, blow by blow account of what's happened? Would they hold it in a bit? Probably, actually. Like, I mean, we we deliberately chose a, a character and a, and a, or like a, um, like the character who's receiving the text messages, we deliberately made that someone who the character would probably be quite honest with. So it's a brother rather than a parent, mm. for example, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, like a more distant relative. It was somebody who that person would be reasonably open with and tell them what was happening and maybe also wanting be wanting to sort of tell them like what was really happening because they would also want that sort of emotional support of of sharing that and being and getting reassurance from it mm. but yeah again like they're probably not going to share like every last detail because you like you they're just not going to want that other person to worry too much so that that was the way the way it came mm. in and, and like i think it's really interesting because like like you had what was it like i think we had about we had about four and a half thousand people sort of following it yeah in in that 10 days and that's sort of like one IP address, sort of like unique visitors. Mm. Um, more people then followed it online. And there's also, you know, like the social media, there's um, the newsletter that we did, the podcast. So we had a number of different elements. So we were, and then also what we did was, you know, we we had a small, we had a reasonable amount of press around the launch as well, where we were able to talk about like some of the issues behind it. And that also reached quite a lot of people. So we got quite a lot of, we got a lot of retweets and we got a lot of visibility on social media. Yeah, it sounds like you got a lot of reach, but uh, and you know, like we were discussing some of the problems around this issue is a lack of political will, uh, um, and, and that's partly born through people's views around immigration, refugee, refugees, asylum seekers, and stuff like that. And in fact, you know, like I mentioned before, the uh, I've heard you know some charities are having serious conversations around whether they want to continue to directly fund some some of these relief issues uh stuff that's happening especially around um refugees is that something you've heard about or you've seen before i haven't heard lots of those Mm. conversations around Mm. like humanitarian Mm. donors and things certainly there was this was reasonably challenging to fund in some ways that like we definitely had funders step away and be like, you know what, like we don't want to do anything political. And like most people, most, yeah, like, and we don't want to do anything political and we don't like to do things which are current and controversial, which I think was just code for like, we feel like this is too hot to handle. Mm. And that was even at a point where they didn't know what my take on it was. It was just, you know, purely like irregular migration was just too, too much for them. Just kind I think of- that's the one thing that this is lacking, if I'm going to make any criticism, is that I want to see a picture of who I'm following. You know, I want to, I, I, that's, that's, that's really, if, if I had that visual Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Them and who they are, um, then that would really draw me in so like completely into this narrative. But Sahel, I would put a counterpoint mm. to that. Mm. We're three brown guys. Mm. So when it comes to looking at people like this and seeing ourselves there, yeah, we have a lot easier time. So a lot of people who made this are based in the Netherlands. Mm. So if you're considering the ter- in terms of sort of representation and the type of people who this is targeted at, mm. they probably don't look like us. Yeah, and, and maybe that's part of the reason they left the images up, yeah. so you can connect with them on, on a more yeah. deeper level. So we've talked a bit about how much emotional connection there is um, in this, but there isn't any film or photography of anyone used. Was that a deliberate decision? Yes, again, pretty much from the outset. Um, so there's a couple of there were a couple of issues with using photography that um, that I felt would be like challenging for this project. They were too non-white. Is that what you're saying? As soon as you put a brown or black face there, they're like, don't care anymore. Gone. No, actually, it wasn't that. Like, there's nothing to do with that. You know, because I remember you're so sort of. I, I mean, actually, I remember you like sort of thinking that thinking that that might have been an issue and um and saying that in the first podcast um so what it was actually um there's a couple of issues a big one is just like people kind of know what this situation looks like to a large extent and um like it just didn't seem necessary and actually um so I just got distracted by like Sarah like moving another bump <laughs> along the map um, on on the bus so along the. For anyone who again because a podcast is an audio medium, um, yeah, we've actually got migration trail up. Um, it's only day one because we just launched it, but it's already really really like interesting to look at. And yeah, you got you got distracted by your own work. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say that's quite vain, um, but I. Can... Ooh. <laughs> but I completely understand. Isn't that right, Alex? In four, four or five hours, we do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to sit back and revel in your skill. You know, it's a great so, Absolutely. um, so no, so no film and no photography. One of those things was just about like the sort of the, like the. It's a tough subject, and it's a lot of people in very difficult situations. And there's a sort of like privacy and dignity issue around using photography there. Um, and we didn't feel that we needed it, and in which case, like, 
so in which case we decided to just like not bother. Although it's a question that we get asked a lot. Um, um, it's weird though, like people say like, oh, you know, um, I, f- I feel like I need to see the character and see the face in order to know who this character is. But nobody ever says that about radio. You know, like it's not a criticism that every- anyone ever makes of that. And yet here they did. Um, Trust me, you don't want to see my face. Yeah, I've been told that I have a face for radio, which I originally thought was a compliment. It is not. Yep, I know. Alex, you are a beautiful man. Thank you. Um, but we'll keep it as voice because my voice is a lot better. Uh, uh, have you had any positive responses to not using photos, like people being able to sort of fill in the gaps with their own imagination? Um, people haven't. We haven't had people come to us and say like, "Oh my god, it was so great they mm. used photos," and I've was able to fill in although i think that they probably were able to just do that mm-hmm. um they mostly said like oh we expected it like almost like for the avatar with the instant messages mm-hmm. for example mm-hmm. i think they expected it at that point mm-hmm. and then it was a natural question like oh i kind of want to see this person's face mm-hmm. um but the other reason that we didn't use photos is that it just seemed like a massive distraction in the project like this issue has a number of kind of classic photos to the point of like almost like cliched photos which is like the long trudge over land or like you know the rubber boats and um where we wanted to try and say to people like listen you think that you know this story but actually you don't and let us tell you like a diff- let us give you a different take on it that to have those images there were actually just going to be a, a distraction and people were just going to like look at the images and be like oh yeah we know that story already and so we wanted to challenge them to think again, and that would have been perhaps taken away from that. Um, I mean, just from a more technical standpoint, do you think adding images would have made this run slower? I mean, this is quite heavy, actually. Yeah. So um, yeah. Because did you design this to be lean, or I mean, did you work with what you had for the amount of data that you wanted to throw in? Like- the coffee shop Wi-Fi was struggling a bit earlier. Yeah. It, I mean, it. The more powerful the machine that you have, the better it's going to run, mm. and. I mean, we stripped down the the mobile experience is quite stripped mm. down as well to allow it to like. No, no, no! You see me? I got all this four G. I throw it on. I like request de- desktop site. Yes, please. I want to see everything. <laughs> Great user I want experience. See all there. those things. Uh, Did you have any surprising responses to the project? Um, we had like we definitely had like people like talking about it on social media and that was a that was a really funny thing to see sort of like it's okay at this point this project is like out in the world and we don't <laughs> um and other people are talking about it now it's really strange um i mean there were people who were following um who who got really into following the text message mm. stories and were like holy shit like i can't breathe waiting to see if like sarah is going to be able to get on the plane with her like fake passports and and fake tickets, real tickets, but fake passports. And mm. are they going to get through security or not in th- in three days' time? Mm. Um, we also had like um, what I wasn't expecting. Um, although it, I, it would it would have been nice, but I wasn't really expecting it. Was like we had some a couple of Syrian um, women who had like done this journey themselves, who were like following it and were like, "Oh my god, it's like great to see this like yeah. represented like this," mm. which was quite cool. Wow. I suppose that was very vindication for your efforts because you know to have people who have actually done that be like you know this is quite an accurate representation but obviously testament to the work that you and your team put into it i was going to say it's an interesting thing because i've got friends who work at you know humanitarian organizations as well and i've heard through them that you know for example big charities are thinking about 
indirectly funding like stuff like this because there's there is a desensitization there's almost a turn off to this topic and that's got even worse since you know you've done this project um uh, and it's yeah it's the question how do you tell that story in an interesting engaging world where a lot of people are completely desensitized to it they're completely tuned off to it and that is a real struggle isn't it i guess and when you're trying to convey these stories yeah i mean yeah it, it was funny sort of doing it over such a long period um like i actually got the first funding in spring 2015 who, um, who was that that was a creative innovation fellowship with wired magazine and a digital arts organization a okay. digital arts organization mm. called the space i got that first grant um and that was that was incredible um it was a it was the first grant that I'd written on this project, and it and it and it was one which is unusual in my experience on a project. You have to like write one grant application, and it, it's important in thinking through the ideas, but it doesn't get funded, and then the second or third one happens. It is a very unique concept, and it's it's such a it's an interesting innovation in storytelling because it is trying to bring younger people in, I guess, and how they interact with the world and putting that in a way that they so putting that narrative in a way that it humanizes it and brings it into the real world for them isn't it yeah mm. like sort of mm. putting it on the mobile phone where mm. people can like carry mm. it around and it's like interrupting their day as mm. they're going around i mean looking back at this and looking at where we were in 2014-15 when you started this and to where we are now and going back to the politics of this do you think we're in a better position now? Are people or in a worse position? How do you think think how do you think things will progress from here? It's a deep question. It's a hard yeah, question to answer. Like I've got no idea. Mm. Um I mean it's the funny thing with a project like this, it's like you set out with an ambition of like, you know, we want to create a more informed conversation and sort of get these stories out there and also like a a more sophisticated discussion about the policies that that shape these situations. I mean, I think you have to have that big an ambition when you set out with something like, like this. But in fact, the number of people that you can realistically reach and like minds that you can change is probably is like relatively small. But you know, it it's like all of those. It's like it's a drop in the ocean, and all together mm. they they start to shift something. Mm. So in your own way, you 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 probably have created that positive change in 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 a, in a in a small but you know vital way i guess through this project i mean i think there's been a lot of um over sort of especially over 2015 and 2016 there were a lot of people who um suddenly found themselves engaging in this topic in a way that they potentially wouldn't have previously either because you know suddenly a lot of people like arrived in their town, like in, in Munich, for example. Um, and there was like this huge civil society mobilization right across Europe um, to try and help the people who'd arrived and sort of, and also to like welcome them. I think that that probably has made like, made a huge, huge difference. Mm. What you don't see though, um, you see this sort of um, very human level engagement of like, um, we want to help these people and sort of make sure that they have like housing and enough food and you know that they're healthy and well you don't and so there's a lot of engagement in terms of like 
say, helping refugees who are stranded on Lesbos now of like sending tents and sending clothes and going over to help. What you don't see that translate into so much is like political engagement to change migration policies and asylum policies, even from the people who've gone out to Lesbos Mm. to do that work. Mm. Hannah, you call me a cynic. This is realism, (laughs) very real realism. Okay, so I remember from the last time, Sahel was getting really annoyed that you had to translate each message and stuff yeah, like yeah, yeah. you got really annoyed and then you got to a point where you could translate all of them like was there a reason why because like you you know this is not really going for people who have made this journey so people who haven't made the journey from west africa or um from like syria and stuff so these are it's for people you know in europe who probably don't speak arabic can't read arabic can't read like pigeon or anything so why did you make the texts originally like in that. those languages yeah um and part of it was wanting it to be accessible to the to those people for all that like our main target audience was in in europe we felt very strongly that it should be accessible to the people who you know were, it was about i mean i think it i mean it's also about people in western europe as well because we're the people who sort of shape those immigration and asylum policies but it should be accessible to you know the people who've made these journeys um, so that was one part of it. And then the other thing with making it available first in Arabic and Pidgin and only then in English was like, these aren't stories that happen in English. These are stories that take place in Arabic and in a number of other languages. And we just wanted to like foreground that point that it's not, yeah, that about sort of whose, whose reality is getting foregrounded here and to just push back on that even in a, in a very minor way. Mm. So I'm, I'm getting now distracted by the fact that we've gone from Izmir and <laughs> just getting to... We're moving, we're yeah, moving. The dot's moving. The dot's slowly moving. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's... Yeah, the real-time aspect, it becomes something that's really like... At first, it's really annoying. Like it's really... It infuriated Hannah in the coffee shop. Like, come on, come on, I need to... What I, think, I think it was more, I was like, crap, I should have actually looked at this a couple of days ago. Um, <laughs> we told you it was real time. I was like, Hannah, it's a 10-day experience. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Open door, be fine. We've covered how I missed five weeks of work and I'm still catching up, right? Uh, yeah. uh, for the next topic, you should make a real-time data visualisation of Hannah getting better because that, I feel as though then I'll be able to relate more. Um no, but yeah, it's like, it's, I mean, Hannah, how do you feel about the fact that it's sort of, it's real time as someone who's just coming to it now? I I, I really like it. Like, I think I'm going to follow it over the next 10 days. And because I think if it was real time, but without the things being pushed to you, it would be quite hard to sort of remember to go back to it in the midst of life. Whereas having something come through to me seems like a good idea. Mm. And like, is it something that you would recommend to people that you know? And then, like, would it be difficult to keep the story? Like, cause it's a story. It's like it's mm-hmm. like reading a book. I don't know. I think that mm. that'd be quite difficult, right? Mm. Like, I do think. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think know. you had a point. Here. I, I think no. My, I'm so used to like you know YouTube. Like, mm. uh, there's an interesting YouTube clip. You can now send it at the, that exact time. Is that you can't send it at day six? Oh man, but, check but out like the if, yeah. if a friend is like binging a TV thing mm. you've watched, where that's your four seasons in and they're just starting, you've got to wait for them to catch up before mm. you can talk about no, it. No, but that's the same thing. It's binging. Like you can binge. I can at my own speed. I can do this. But you've still you've still got the actual like real time element of an episode is an hour long, and you need to like you're not going to skip <laughs> half the just episode. Just play at double speed. It's just yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. No, this is how Alex consumes all content. He just like flips a book out like that, and he's like red. No, like, I, I, I listen to podcasts at like one point five, two times I speed. I can't do My that. God. Yeah, no, because I, I like audio and I like consuming content really quickly. So you're saying about like, so say you you did Netflix. Say you did. I don't know what are you watching on Netflix right now. Uh, what am I watching? Um, Alison, what are you watching? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, she's too busy. Oh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> yeah. Which all my friends are waiting for me to catch up on yeah. because, uh-huh. like, I can't watch it that quickly. It's true. So, I watch everything on half speed, so if I sounds really drunk, and they're like, <laughs> please balance that out with something, <laughs> something good. I finished American Vandal, which is yes. really good. Yes. Have you seen that? It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? The second, so the second yeah, season. Yeah. Oh my god! I, I feel as though the arc there. We're sorry, we're just going to have this conversation. The Go arc there isn't about the uh, actual vandalism and whatnot. It's about the filmmaker who's a little shit. Um, who does? Yeah. Anyway, um, back to TV shows. But yeah, like, how long did it take you to watch American Vandal all the way through? Yeah, I mean, I've probably watched that over the course of a week week and a half something and with what you're watching on netflix hannah so i binged quite a bit of it when i was when i was ill and then i haven't watched any episodes since and all my friends are nagging me because all my friends who don't do comedy think it's like the story of my life and it's like i'm like it's set in like the 50s (laughs) (laughs) no you get to control like how quickly you watch that and stuff and so Mm. i think even though i really love it i find it really difficult sometimes when i want to show like someone a really interesting plot twist the fact that they have to start so early and you it's like giving someone it's like it's giving them a gift but like not quite if that makes sense like you're giving them something they have to work they have to work towards yeah i mean it yeah it's a really it's a difficult thing to balance because like um actually the way that we as a team found it was like best to experience it because we had it um once we got to sort of like late production we had a an experience that we could then be like road testing and so we would just have it like running in the background in the browser while we were doing other things and you'd come back an hour later and like David would have sent a couple more text messages and he'd be like 300 kilometers further on his train journey or whatever um, and that was like that was quite a fun way to have it to like just have it in the background like that yeah and there was a couple of points where I realized where I regretted not having had like a separate version where we could just like skip forward um where we submitted it to a film festival and they called me up like on a saturday morning or something and we're like yeah like is there any way that um we can just like quickly look at like the other 10 days or do we really have to wait and i was had to be like yeah i'm sorry you just really have to wait (laughs) and they were like okay 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 cool that's no problem we'll do it but, yeah. <laughs> but it was in fact <laughs> a problem um is there a reason why you just you went for the 10 days i mean initially like when i first started working on this in 2014 a lot of people were traveling from egypt to italy and that is broadly how long that Mm. journey takes it quickly shifted through 2015 people far more people were then suddenly coming through Libya and that's a shorter Mm. trip it's three or four days but we decided to keep it at 10 because what we also realized was that it wasn't that helpful to only concentrate on the sea journey there's Mm -hmm. a lot that comes before Mm -hmm. and there's a lot that comes after and we wanted to give attention to that so we decided to continue with the 10 Mm -hmm. days and and do the trip through Europe overland as well 
Cool. So like in doing that, you know, you're talking about like two main journeys and you mentioned that um, you originally had like an Afghan storyline that you cut out. Like, were there any other storylines to begin with that you thought that you might want to try, like any different areas? Because, you know, there are migrants coming from all over. Why did you choose uh, Nigeria and Syria? Yeah, I mean, Syria got the most attention through 2015. And I, I guess even till now, it was like, wow, all of these like Syrian refugees. And so when we had to choose just a small number, it seemed like, okay, well, we should have a Syrian character in there. And then I was really keen to do a story which that involved going through the Sahara and traveling through the central Mediterranean, because that was what was also like weird about what happened in 2015 was that um, the numbers of people traveling through the central Mediterranean actually stayed stable all that time. It was it remained at about 100,000 through 2013, 14, 15, 16. And yet, even though there was a load of attention suddenly for irregular migration, there wasn't that much attention for the people who were traveling on that route. So I was quite determined, like, no, we really need to have somebody who's traveling on that route. The way that we tried to think about whose stories we were going to tell, we actually looked at um, the UNHCR statistics and we were going to try and work with like the top 10 um, refugee producing countries where people were traveling to Europe. So actually Nigeria was a major one. There's a lot of people coming from East Africa, Somalia, Eritrea, Sudan, um, Afghanistan, uh, was a big one as well. So we really wanted to tell an Afghan story. And then it was about, um, you know, finding finding the writers to collaborate with. Um, and it took me about two years, like looking for writers um, who were able to do this sort of work, were interested in working with us. And yeah. So like this entire thing, um, I definitely wanted Hannah here for because it is like that middle ground between like tech and art mm. and i mean how did you balance that out like did you think about that like i don't know like because it's quite like a, a meshing of like that so like how did you balance out trying to have like the story there compared to like oh look cool cool data like was there ever any friction between those two sides if that makes sense um you know, the weird thing about being an architect is that you're always trying... <laughs> I, love, I love the start of that. Like you hear that every day. The weird thing about being an architect is... Is um, that actually it's it, it's often seen as this sort of like marrying of like art and tech. Um, and, and so you carry those same design skills through to this and the technology in this sense isn't structural engineering, for example, or, you know, M&E engineering, it's, it's code instead, but it still has those different aspects that it needs to be, you need to be balancing a number of different demands and satisfying all of them. And so, mm -hmm. you know, having trained as an architect and being a professional designer was what helped put those together. And then, you know, once you've got a team working on a project like this, everybody has like a thing that they're focused on. So, you know, Sarah was very focused on the stories and shaping them. Um, and, and you know, Thomas was like driving a lot of the technical side. And we had a few people who were like in between those sort of like knitting it all together as well. Is there any like 
deep level design that people wouldn't notice if that makes sense like people notice tech tech's really simple notice like is there anything really cool that we wouldn't have noticed and that you want to talk about oh wow anything um, like you know a little like okay when i write like i've written some code and stuff and the most interesting bit about it is this really cool like recursive function no one's ever going to ask me about it i'm like oh yeah i did that yeah <laughs> is there anything really cool in there that you want to brag about essentially oh god um or anything that was taken out that you're like oh this would have been amazing apart from clouds the afghan story waves <laughs> <laughs> apart from all of those things was there anything else yeah. um i guess that like what what is weird, what maybe people wouldn't quite realize in this is just like how much of this was done, was maybe done manually. Like the roots and everything, each one, I actually drew them all out. I drew out all of the paths and each one took me, I think two or three days in Google Earth, sort of like zoomed in and sort of like doing these paths really accurately and then sort of setting out the GeoJSON files of like, start here, stop here, start here, stop here. Um, and then building that crazy Excel spreadsheet, which mm. was like, yeah. It's a labor of love, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I've got a science background, but I'm not that techie. And so I know you look at this and you see loads of tech, but I look at it and I just see a really sort of quite streamlined, nice user interface. And I don't think, I think that's fine. And it, it sort of reminds me a bit of what you're saying about architecture and structural engineering, that you can sort of appreciate the aesthetics of a building without necessarily knowing what's holding it up. Um, yeah, I just think it's really lovely. We, we, I think we didn't quite realise like how ambitious like a 10-day a real-time <laughs> thing was when we like set out to do it. But for example, like 10 days real-time meant we had some, some crazy... We had like... 216 hours of music like continuous that we had to check and so the way that we did it was to go through um and we actually we listened to each track and checked that it was appropriate for the thing and like sounded the way that it should but then what we also had to do was go through and just like check the way that we did it was to go through and check all of the transitions so like from happiness to sleeping from fear to confusion mm -hmm. um anytime it shifted then we went in and checked it and i think that took us um i think it was like 12 hours to check Jeez. all of the music over 10 days and all of the transitions mm. for one character mm. um and so there was actually just like when we actually saw this project go live and we i was experiencing it for a lot of it for the first time as well um and i was doing a lot of like the social media posts every morning and I was doing the updates of like, okay, well, this is where David is and this is where Sarah is. And like, just after seven days and like, David is like, like he's still going on this like really tough journey and like still like, oh my God, just like getting up every day and like continuing on this really like tough thing. And you also start to realize like actually just what a grind this journey is. Mm -hmm. And that's something that never really comes across like the, in a lot of the stories that you hear of just like, the difficulty of the boredom, of the waiting, of like just getting up every morning and keeping going with this really like tough experience. And that was something that I didn't realize until we went live and we were doing the full 10 days. And I was like experiencing some of that along with them. One of the last questions I want to ask is, in making that big database spreadsheet thing, uh, were there ever any times that you like 
lost the data. I wouldn't know this as someone who keeps data meticulously backed up and never loses any data. I mean, did you ever have a situation <laughs> where you, okay, if anyone listening, I, I lost like five minutes of audio because I didn't back up the card properly. Um, anyway, did you ever lose um, data and did it send you into a fit of despair? More of the pain point was like working out how to build the database and how to like um fit that to fit that to sort of like the experience on the map and how to like create the interface between those two things and realizing that um we'd built this entire like spreadsheet which um like the website is doing a call to the server every 10 seconds for 10 days so that's something like 1400 calls like entries on the spreadsheet and calls to the database. I think we did get to the point where the developer turned around to me and the assistant producer as we were building this thing and was like, can you just like reformat this in like a slightly different way? And I think he did it two or three times. And I think we were, everyone was sort of at the edge of their patience with like reformatting the spreadsheet. It was, it was difficult because it's like, on the one hand, of course, you're trying to work iteratively and like not do everything before you need to but yeah he would realize that something needed to change and we'd have to like switch it around so does that mean you could edit the data that's on there like you could edit the text messages say like you wanted to add something new now would you theoretically be able to because it's been up you know for the last couple of years since since yeah. the end of 2017 yeah we could so um yeah so we could like for example add a new language translation the capacity is all there to do that. Um, similarly, to to upload a, a new character, we've got the basics of all there to do that as well. So yeah, we could like go in and, and update it, and perhaps sort of like update the statistics to like the latest full year, which is twenty eighteen now. Except that I think there's value with that of just like keeping that data um, what it was as then. fit as fitting to the story that's being told. So you're saying you could add more stories and apart from the Afghan one, you could like do, is it the uh, caravan that, you know, the, Oh, through the, the US. US. Yeah, the people. That would be with. really interesting, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, I, I want to speak to some American friends who work on migration. Would that be an interesting or a valuable thing to do? Because actually what I've, what I've done over the past couple of weeks, because I'm going to South by Southwest in a month and I'm going to be presenting this. Oh, cool. Um, and what I was thinking of doing is like adding in some of the data around the US southern border. So, for example, I've got a database of all of the missing migrants, um, all of the people who've like died or gone missing like at that southern border over the past five years that I could add into this map. And you can just like pan across to the states and have a look at that. I think one thing just after this whole discussion is obviously we're looking at two people's stories here. But the reality is, you know, there's almost 70 million displaced people worldwide, right? Forcibly, forced, forcibly displaced. 25 million refugees, 3 million asylum seekers, countless lives, countless people. And, you know, this is just one way of trying to express that story, isn't it? And, you know, I think one thing, we've talked about the science of tech of it, but it is a real humanitarian issue that even though it's not as prevalent in the media as it ought to be, it's still ongoing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, even in terms of like the people mm. who in 2015, 2016 would have been coming to Europe, those those sorts of stories are still continuing. Mm. Um, what we've got instead of the situation which is shown in Migration Trail is like 
we've got tons of people who are stuck on the Greek islands mm. and have essentially been like, yeah, are stuck there pending their asylum case being heard, and after which they may be sent back to Turkey. Some of them may be granted asylum in Greece. Some of them might be relocated elsewhere in Europe, but the asylum process is incredibly slow. The conditions on Lesbos and all of the other Greek islands are appalling. And then in terms of like the central Mediterranean, the EU has done a deal with the Libyan Coast Guard who are now essentially pulling back anyone who tries to leave. And in fact, you know, there's a lot of collusion between the Libyan Coast Guard and the smugglers. In many cases, they're the same people. It, it's horrible. And people are like being brought back to detention centers where and even official mm. detention centres where they're subject to absolutely appalling mistreatment. The UK, along with Denmark, was one of the countries that didn't po uh, participate in the European relocation plan because, you know, there were tons of people who were arriving in Italy and Greece. And so um, in order to sort of like share that responsibility, um, all the countries in Europe were given a quota of like, OK, you're going to 50,000 people here and 50,000 mm. there. Uh, the UK and Denmark didn't participate. And then there were a ton of countries in Eastern Europe, which was like Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic, Slovakia, I think, mm. um, who really dragged their heels and essentially mm. just refused to take the people that they were allotted. So we have come to the end of the podcast. Um, Hannah, to hell, do you feel like you've learned something new or interesting or got all your fanboying mm. and or fangirling out yes i think it's been, it's been really nice to hear about the process behind yeah. um the project and how you got to this point i think i think it was good to come back to it and you know after we'd seen it last year to actually meet you and you're actually really, really lovely as well by the way which <laughs> helps a lot so uh i think i think yeah it's been a very good experience and it's, it's definitely been a sobering one as well in some ways think about you know this the struggle a lot of these people are having alison um have you enjoyed it have you enjoyed being yeah, it's here? been really fun yeah. it's been yeah thanks for having me it's great it's really great to get to talk about all of these like questions that consumed me for like three years <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's been really fun thanks for having me no no problem um i'm laughing because again i'm just learning what to say during my phd viva <laughs> all these questions that have consumed me for the last three years transition anxiety hunger fear i've been alex lathbridge i've been joined by hannah sahel and allison say bye guys Peace out. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and this has been Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet? Bye. You'll hear wonderful clips of my voice because we took some of the... Uh, the <laughs> also, you'll hear clips from... <laughs> this is the worst. Also, you'll hear clips that have my wonderful fuck, I can't. <laughs> hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.